Hi everyone, I hope you're doing well. For those of you who don't know me, or those of you who maybe don't recognise me behind my holiday growth, my name is Paul, I'm one of the staff here at Newvine, and it's my joy and privilege to be sharing with you from God's Word today as we continue our journey through the book of 1 Thessalonians. We've called this series Homebound because throughout this letter, Paul has been reminding the Thessalonians to live life here on earth with their eyes fixed on eternity. He wants them to remember that they are homebound for heaven and to allow that certainty to shape the way that they think and live here on earth as they respond to life's challenges. And I'm sure you have, as Ken just reminded us, realize that life is filled with plenty of challenges. But the good news is there is a hope to be found in the midst of all of those challenges if we know where to find it. Let me pray as we start. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. Lord, we're living in changing and unfamiliar times, but your word is unchanging and true. And because it is, it gives us a sure and certain hope, not just for the present, but also for the future. Lord, today, as we talk about a difficult subject for some of us, the topic of death, uh, Lord, we just pray and ask by your spirit that you'll meet with us and that you will stir a hope and a faith that rises within us and helps us navigate not just our way through this life, but our way into eternity with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, do you remember as a child playing the game hide and seek? For some of us, we may have to think back quite a way to the last time we played that game. But if you remember playing the game hide and seek, one person was designated to do the seeking while everybody else went off and hid. If you were doing the seeking, then you would cover your eyes and you would count from an agreed number. And uh, once you had finished counting, you would let everyone know that you were coming by shouting out the words, coming, ready or not. Can you remember how you felt in your hiding place when you heard those words, coming, ready or not? If you hadn't yet found the perfect hiding place, then maybe it caused you to feel a little uneasy, a little concerned that you might be easily caught. But if you were pretty confident that you'd found a great hiding place, then uh, you were secure and confident knowing that you wouldn't be easily caught. Well, one day, Jesus is going to return to this earth. The countdown has already begun. The question is, will we be ready or not when he comes? As we jump into today's passage, we need to understand a little of the backstory. In the book of Acts, we're told that Paul visited Thessalonica and there he began preaching the gospel and the good news about Jesus. And he told the Thessalonians that Jesus would be returning soon, possibly even in their own lifetime. And all of those who placed their faith in him would, when he returned, be taken to be with him forever. And everyone was excited about that. Everyone thought that was great news until some of the Thessalonians started dying, until some of those early believers began passing away. And when that happened, they began to wonder, what has happened to our loved ones who have died? Where have they gone? Will we see them again? Will they be disadvantaged when Jesus returns? 
And perhaps they were thinking, and what about us who are still alive? Should we be afraid of dying before Jesus returns? It's into that situation that Paul writes the following words. And in doing so, he's seeking to give the Thessalonians both comfort regarding their loved ones who have passed away, but he's also wanting to give them confidence regarding Jesus' future return. So let's read the verses together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 to 18. Paul says this, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. It's important for us to realise that whilst this passage talks about end time events, it's not Paul's intent to give us uh, the, the information we need to compile prophecy charts and analyse world events to figure out the timing and details of Jesus' return. That's not his intent. Paul's intent here is primarily pastoral. He's wanting to help the Thessalonians navigate their way through grief by helping them understand the events around Jesus' death, but not so much the timing of those events. And maybe, like the Thessalonians, you too have had to deal with the grief that comes and the questions that arise when a loved one dies. Or maybe you've attended a funeral and found yourself wondering about how you will cope as you approach old age and death. Or maybe you don't even like talking about the subject of death. Maybe it causes you to feel anxious and fearful. Well, Paul's message to the Thessalonians and to us today is that there is a hope to be found for those who are grieving, for those who are questioning, and even for those who are fearful about death. And in this passage, Paul gives us a number of reasons for that hope when we are confronted by the reality of death. The first reason for hope is a recognition of the truth about Jesus' return. From the earliest of days, mankind has tried to solve the riddle of death. Philosophers have wrestled with the question of immortality. Spiritists have tried to communicate with the dead. And scientists have investigated the experiences of those who have died and been resuscitated. For Paul, however, whilst death may be a certainty, it's no longer a mystery. And so he says in verse 13 here, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Paul doesn't want them to be ignorant about death because he knows if they don't understand death from God's perspective, they will grieve 
like those who have no hope. And Paul's pastoral concern is clear here, isn't it? He doesn't want them to grieve hopelessly. He wants them to grieve with hope. Notice that he's not saying that believers shouldn't grieve, that believers shouldn't express sorrow when a loved one dies. After all, we know that Jesus himself wept when his close friend Lazarus died. Grief is a normal expression of loss and sorrow when someone we love passes away. So it's okay for us to grieve, but we, de- we, we need to grieve differently, and we have cause and reason to grieve differently as followers of Jesus. Because as followers of Jesus, we have a hope that comes from knowing that death is not the end. In fact, for the believer, there is something better than this life on the other side of death. But unbelievers don't have that hope. How can Paul be so confident? How can he be so sure about life beyond the grave? Well, there are a couple of reasons in this verse for Paul's confidence. The first one is the resurrection of Jesus. He says, uh, sorry, in the next verse, he says this, verse 14, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. This verse really is a concise summary of the Christian faith. Some think it might even be the very first Christian creed. And Paul here is drawing our focus to the two key truths of our faith, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And Paul is essentially saying that Jesus' resurrection proves that his sacrifice was acceptable to God. And it also, his resurrection guarantees that we too will be raised to new life. Paul reaffirms this thought in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, when he says, By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. So Paul is confident that Jesus' own resurrection is proof that we too will be raised to new life with him. But there's another reason for Paul's confidence about Jesus' return and the resurrection of those who believe in him, and that is a revelation from Jesus himself. In the first part of verse 15, Paul says, According to the Lord's word, we tell you. According to the Lord's word, we tell you. Now, Paul might be referring here to something that Jesus said when he was alive said to his disciples and followers that wasn't recorded in the Gospels. Or Paul might be referring to something here that Jesus revealed directly to Paul. In either case, it means that Jesus' return and resurrection, uh, sorry, Jesus' return and the resurrection of those who believe in him is not speculation on Paul's part. Rather, it's a sure and certain hope based on the resurrection of Jesus and a revelation from Jesus. And Paul did not want the Thessalonians to be ignorant of these truths. To do so would cause them to grieve like those who don't have hope. Paul, secondly, continues to comfort the Thessalonians and gives them another reason for hope in the latter part of verse 15. And that hope is the resurrection of dead believers. In verse 15, the latter part of it here, he says, According to the Lord's word, we tell you, That we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those 
who have fallen asleep. Notice here Paul uses the pronoun we. He says we who are still alive, which seems to indicate that Paul may well have thought that he himself, along with the living Thessalonians and other believers of the time, that they may well have been alive when Jesus returned. Like all those early Christians who believed that Jesus might return in their lifetime, Paul was ready. Paul was ready for the Lord's return. Now the Thessalonians, along with Paul and others living at that time, as I said earlier, may well have expected that Jesus would come before they died. And that's why they were so worried about their loved ones who had passed away. And Paul here directly addresses that concern and tells them that those believers who have died will not be forgotten. They will not be disadvantaged in any way. In fact, they will be taken care of first. He says in verse, 15, verse 16, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The dead in Christ will rise first. Imagine the comfort that that brought to the Thessalonians, knowing that their departed loved ones would not be forgotten, they wouldn't be disadvantaged. In fact, they would be the primary focus of God's return, at God's attention when Christ returned. I want you to also notice that Paul says here, it's the dead in Christ who are raised. It's the dead in Christ who are raised. When Jesus returns, those who will be resurrected are only those who were believers. This is only the resurrection of the believers. There is a resurrection of the unsaved, of those who are not believers. It's referred to a late, later on in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verse 5. And uh, depending on your view of end times, it's uh, indicated in Revelation, though, that it will be quite some time, at least a thousand years, after this first resurrection. And so Jesus will return. He'll resurrect the dead believers first, and after the millennial reign, thousand-year reign, the great white throne judgment, as spelled out in Revelation, a thousand years later, is when the unsaved dead will be raised. But at this moment, the Paul is talking about when Jesus returns, for those who believed, they will all be raised. That includes people who died 2,000 years ago, like the Thessalonian believers, as well as those believers who died just this past week. It includes people like the Apostle Paul and Martin Luther and Corey Ten Boom and Billy Graham, as well as those much-loved new viners that we have farewelled over past years. And three times in this passage, Paul refers to the death of Christians as sleep. It's an interesting phrase, an interesting euphemism that he uses here. Do you know why that is? And do you know why sleep is such an apt euphemism for the death of believers? It's because when you go to sleep, you wake up later. And the death of the, a Christian, the death of a believer, is not goodbye. It's simply good night. They will wake up again when Jesus returns. 
But we need to understand that it's only the body that sleeps. The Bible doesn't teach soul sleep. Now, there are some uh, religions, there are some strands of the Christian faith even that believe in soul sleep. The Seventh-day Adventists, for example, believe in soul sleep. But the Bible doesn't teach soul sleep. In fact, do you remember Jesus' words to the thief on the cross? He said to this man, Today you will be with me in paradise. Where is paradise? Well, it's wherever Jesus is. And your loved ones who believed in Jesus and died are alive right now. Their soul and their spirit are with him. It's only their body that is sleeping. And when Jesus comes back, they will also come back in soul and spirit and be re reunited with their new, immortal, resurrected bodies. Again, these verses would have greatly encouraged the Thessalonians and no doubt answered their questions and calmed their concerns regarding their departed loved ones. And it should also comfort us as we grieve for our loved ones who believed in the Lord as well. Their body may be sleeping, but their soul and their spirit are alive and with Jesus and they will return with him when he comes. The third reason for hope in this passage is the rapture of living believers. The rapture of living believers. So in verse 17, Paul says, After that, so after the events we've just talked about, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The words caught up here come from the Latin word rapto, which means to seize or to carry off. And this is where we get the word rapture. And the implication here is that those believers who are alive when Jesus returns will be literally lifted off, caught up. In 1 Corinthians 15, 52, Paul says this, that this will happen so quickly that he says it will happen in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. One moment, you're eating soup. The next minute, you're flying like Superman. One moment, you're eating donuts. The next minute, you're doing donuts in the sky. One moment, you're in the shower. The next minute, you're being blown dry at 30,000 feet. One minute, you're cheering for the nights. The next you discover that all of heaven is wearing red and blue. Go the nights. Just like that in the twinkling of an eye. Here one moment and gone the next. And in that moment, Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, that he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. No more aches, no more pains. No more diseases, no more trips to the doctor, no more medicine, no more surgery, no more chemotherapy. Some of us, no doubt, are really looking forward to that new body. So Paul here paints a picture, a sequence of events. The dead in Christ will be raised first, reunited with a resurrected immortal body. Then those who are alive will be caught up. Their body, likewise, will be transformed so that our bodies are like Jesus' own glorious body. And then fourthly and finally, Paul 
speaks of another reason for hope, and that again is in verse 17. He says, After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This is the ultimate family reunion. What a beautiful picture this is. All Christians from all centuries, from all, every land, from every nation, of every tongue, will be caught up to be with Jesus. Not just in that moment where we meet with him, but for all of eternity. You, your loved ones who believed in Jesus, will be united together with him for all of eternity. Paul, having spoken these words, concludes in verse 18 with these words. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul paints this beautiful picture, this beautiful picture of the resurrection of dead believers, those who are living believers being caught up with them and united with Christ. Paul paints this beautiful picture and he says, continue to encourage one another with these words. Continue to paint this picture for one another so that you don't grieve like those who have no hope. Again, in this verse, Paul's intent, his pastoral intent, is clear. He wanted to remind the Thessalonians of the truth in order that they might be encouraged. And that simple truth is this. Jesus is coming back for those who belong to him, dead or alive. Don't worry about those believers who have died. And don't be concerned about your own death. Because if you know him, when he returns, all who belong to him, dead or alive, will be reunited with him forever. Encourage one another with these words. So let me do that. Let me encourage you with an example of what Paul is saying. In December 2003, if you were part of our New Vine family way back then, we as a church said good night to a lovely lady named Carol Fischler, the wife of Robin and the mother of Sophie and Monique. At just 40 years of age, her death was premature and painful. But her husband and her daughters and others who shared her faith in Jesus didn't and still don't grieve like those who have no hope. Why? Because we know that whilst her body, to use Paul's words, fell asleep, her soul and her spirit are alive and with Jesus. Carol is with Jesus. And when he returns, she will come with him. And when the call is given, Carol's body will rise from its sleep, having been transformed into an immortal, everlasting body and be reunited with her soul and her spirit. And Robin, if you're still alive, and we hope you are, because we'd love to be there to witness this moment. Robin, if you're still alive, you along with your living family members will, Paul says, then be caught up into the air. Your bodies also having been transformed, where you will be forever reunited with Carol and with Jesus. What a day that will be for you and your family. 
Now, that's the scenario if the Lord returns while Robin and his family are still alive. That's what Paul is talking about. But Robin, I've got to say, I've got a hunch that Carol might beat you back to heaven as she is a little bit younger than you. If that scenario doesn't unfold, if Robin passes away before the Lord returns, if we all pass away before the Lord returns, then we will see Carol again when we are all resurrected from the dead. And this is true for you and your loved ones. If they believed in Jesus, when he returns, they will be resurrected. And on the basis of your mutual faith in Christ, you will be reunited with those loved ones again. Do you see how these words would have encouraged the Thessalonians? How that would have given them hope? How it would have given them encouragement in the midst of the unexpected death of their loved ones before Jesus' return? And I hope it's an encouragement to you as well. An encouragement that you will take a hold of and perhaps an encouragement that you will share with others who may be grieving the loss of their loved ones. Do you have that hope today? Do you have a hope beyond death and the grave? One day Jesus is coming back. The timer is counting down. But one day the counting is going to stop and Jesus will come back for those who belong to him. The question is, will we be ready or not? Well, it's not difficult to be ready. All you need to do today is put your trust and faith in him. If you've never done that, I encourage you to do that today. And you can find the sure and certain hope that you need today, but the sure and certain hope that will guarantee your future in heaven with Jesus and your loved ones who likewise believed in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it brings. And Lord, we thank you that uh, your spirit is the one who guides us and leads us in truth. Lord, we pray that your spirit would impress this truth upon our hearts and minds today. Lord, we think particularly of those who are grieving the loss of loved ones. For those, Lord, who may be wrestling with their own mortality. For those, Lord, who are anxious and fearful about death, Lord, we pray and ask that the truth of this passage would settle in our hearts and bring a peace and a hope in the present. Lord, that causes us to view our departed loved ones as safe and secure in your arms, knowing, Lord, that we will see them again, whether it be because of the resurrection that we all experience or whether it be because of the rapture that we who are living might experience. Lord, we know you're coming back. Lord, we recognize that truth. And uh, Lord, we pray and ask today for those who may not know you, that you will just draw them a little closer to yourself. Lord, that you will, uh, by your spirit, remind them that they don't have to fear this life. They don't have to fear what it may bring. And they certainly don't have to fear death if they know you. Because for those who know you, death is just a sleep. So Lord, we pray and ask for your help. We pray and ask for your comfort. We pray and ask for your hope. Most of all, Lord, we pray and ask that, uh, Lord, you would help us to encourage one another with this hope. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your day.